Hello, college football fans, and welcome to an in-person episode of College Football Throwdown, episode 118. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined in person by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello there, college football fans and Husker fans. Hello, hello, hello. So, yes, we are here uh, together for a Thanksgiving weekend. We've had a lot of fun. Traveled down to San Diego to visit some family and uh, go to the horse racing, all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, But we knew we had to do a podcast since we were here together. Um, We ended up skipping a week last week for the Nebraska-Wisconsin game and the uh, Week 12 of college football, Uh, so we're going to cover that today, as well as what happened in Week 13, Nebraska's game against Iowa, and preview the upcoming conference championship games. But before we dive into that, we're going to do our tradition and crack a beverage, especially since we're right here. You betcha. Absolutely. And I am back to uh, drinking my favorite beverage, uh, the Four Peaks Brewing Company's Kilt Lifter Scottish Style Amber Ale. One of my favorites from Arizona. That's happened to be where I where I am residing right now. So here we go. And you are drinking a the Japanese Sapporo. Sapporo. Yep. All right. Finally, got to try that stuff. Yes, I brought some specifically for you to try it, so there you go. Cheers. Cheers. Clink. (laughs) So to dive into things, as I mentioned, uh, we're going to start with um, the Wisconsin game um, from last week, a week ago now. And I'm back on episode 117 of College Football Throwdown. We gave predictions for that, as we usually do. And I predicted that uh, that Wisconsin would win in a close game, uh, 24-17, and you predicted more of a high, uh, more of a blowout win of 38-13, uh, with three missed field goals. You, <laughs> you made a point to specify that. I did. You did. Um, but the final score ended up. I I was a little off on the actual score, but in terms of the spread, I was pretty close. It was a seven-point game where Wisconsin won 35-28. Yes. Yep. And unfortunately, you know, and we won't spend too much time breaking down this particular game, but it was kind of a similar story of what we've seen for a lot of the season where, once again, we were worried that uh, our guys were going to maybe start to give up here at some point in the season, right? But they came... To play and played hard. Um, this was one where uh, our I was expecting to be a bit lower scoring game, and our defense uh, did kind of let us down a bit in that they did give up quite a few yards to Wisconsin. Uh, their uh, running back Braylon Allen, who's a freshman stud, you know, can lift crazy amounts of weight already, and uh, he ran for 228 yards against us. Uh, so, yeah, we really weren't able to stop him. Um, but we were able to get some of our own stuff going on offense. You know, Adrian was actually having a good day, you know, in terms of passing and everything in the first half. And then in the second half, he started throwing interceptions and his injuries were catching up with him. Yes, exactly. Well, and and, and even the running totals, uh, I mean, uh, def- defensively we were doing okay. Uh, throughout the early parts of the game, but again, when a, when a team dedicates themselves to the running game, if you can't force them into a single dimension pass based team because you get ahead, um, then um, you you got a problem because that that physical pounding is eventually going to pay off for them in the fourth quarter, and that happened. And in fact, uh, uh, you know this this Wisconsin game was a classic, right? Uh, and that that running back got a lot of yards late in the, or in the second half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we actually uh, out-yarded them in total, according right. to what I have here. It yep. was 452 to 397. We had 70 plays to their 49, uh, partially because of some of those uh, turnovers, turnovers we right. had. Yeah. And they had a kickoff return yes. for a touchdown to begin the game. Right, right away. Right after you said on the previous podcast that we needed to score early, <laughs> you know, have good things happen early. And we did, after that terrible kickoff, we did come out 
and uh, march it down. Yeah, march it down the field and score to tie it up. Um, and Austin Allen had a great day. He had uh, seven receptions for 143 yards, and then Toure also had seven for 113. Uh, you know, we had uh, 351 yards of passing. We were 23 of 35. Um, so that's all pretty good. Uh, what's also hidden in there, of course, is the two interceptions. And uh, yeah, that those really hurt us. And it was unfortunately another situation where Adrian's uh, mistakes. And once again, like I mentioned, you know, even though Scott apparently said that he was... Uh, more healthy coming off of the bye week and everything. Uh, clearly his shoulder was still bothering him right? as foreseen by the fact that he got surgery on it just after that game. Right. Right. So, um, I know you were pretty upset about the, there was, that there wasn't a, uh, pass interference called on the final play of the game when we, it was fourth and long at the goal line. And, uh, we threw a pass and the Wisconsin guy kind of ran into our receiver before the pass got there and it didn't get called. Right. Uh, and, and it's just, it's classic. Now the reality is even if that does get called, there's no guarantees that Nebraska is able to actually execute and end up converting that into a touchdown. But it's just another example of how uh, Nebraska continues to have find itself in situations where um, they, they put themselves in a tight ball game and then a bad call or missed call um, has such a massive effect on the outcome of the game, you know, and, and they could have just overcame that, right? If they just execute and do some of the other things better, then that isn't even a factor. But it's frustrating as a fan when this consistently happens to our team uh, and, and you can you can find a, an example from a previous week where a similar um, situation occurs and, of course, it's the other way around, and it's always called. I mean, it's like always called. But when it happens to Nebraska, it doesn't get called. And that's where the frustration for Nebraska fans lands is that it, it's, it's quite apparent that the number of missed calls seems to be uh, disparate in, in, against us. Right. I will say just a couple plays before that, um, there was a, a situation where Adrian threw a ball out of bounds. It was kind of an uncatchable ball. And the Wisconsin guy got called for pass interference, even though it was a, you know, clearly uncatchable out of bounds ball. Right. Um, and th- that reminded me of a similar situation with us where we got called for pass interference on an uncatchable ball earlier right. in the year. And even though this time it was going to Wisconsin and gave us an automatic first down in a situation where we really needed it, right. I was still against the call because right. it was wrong, Right. I thought. Okay. So it's not. it might just be that the Big Ten refs kind of stink, but, <laughs> you know. Well, uh, uh, that's, that's an absolute uh, – there's no debating that. That is absolutely true. Big Ten refs suck, and the the uh, standards that they use vary so dramatically from other conferences, whether it's the Big 12 or the SEC. There's so much variation between conference officials. It's disgusting, and it, and it really drives me crazy because as someone who watches a lot of college football, not just Big Ten football, when you watch these other conferences, you see what they view as acceptable and unacceptable in things like pass interference, holding etc and there's so much disparity between them so yeah i think all the officials need to have a big big ass powwow and get it figured out yeah i agree with you on that one so then of course there's the uh final game of the year for nebraska against iowa uh since we won't be going bowling this year no matter if we were to beat iowa or not um and as we mentioned we were in uh, san diego for thanksgiving weekend and um, we ended up finding that there was a uh, local Nebraska bar here in San Diego called Duck Dive. Yes. And uh, we went there, and it was actually a great environment. The place was packed with Husker fans, and every time we scored a touchdown, they played the fight, uh, the fight song with everybody chanting and stuff. So it was a really fun time. We met some cool people, including Austin Allen's sister, kind of a shocker that that happened to come up. Um, 
And, you know, for three quarters, that place was rocking, everybody's high-fiving. Having a good time. Yeah, drinking beers. <laughs> you know, and then the fourth quarter comes. And then reality of the season starts crashing in, sadly. The same, same, same scenario, uh, you know, same book, uh, just another chapter in the same True. deal. This one was a little different, though, because, uh, number one, Adrian had that shoulder so surgery. It wasn't, it wasn't Adrian. So yeah. it was Smothers right. um, in as our quarterback, and you could tell that Scott had altered the game plan to account for the fact that it was Smothers who's better at running it, not as good at throwing it. So we had a lot of uh, run-focused plays in there. We had Yant in as our starting running back at the beginning of the game. There was a lot of option in there, along with a couple of you know play-action passes and the like, um, and that was working quite effectively for us. Right. Um, for you like, especially in that first half, um, and Smothers ended up being um, 16 of 22 for uh, 198 yards uh, passing it. Right. And by himself, I believe he had, yeah, he had 64 yards on the ground, right. too. Yeah, his stat line was good yep. overall. He had one interception, obviously. And, well, and one fumble. And one fumble, right. And those were the, the, again, the key things, you know. If he doesn't have, you know, uh, okay, so you have one interception in a game in which you throw it 22 times. I, I might be willing to accept that as long as it's not one that, that ends up being a pick six. And, uh, and then the same with the fumble, you know. Um, okay, if you're going to run the football a little bit, that sort of stuff, and you have all these exchanges, all right, we need we, we need to concede that every now and then there's going to be a fumble. But you can't have one that gets picked up and advanced, you know. I mean, or, or you can't do it in a location on the field where it gifts them an easy points, right? Right. So it's all about, it's not just about the turnovers, it's about the type and the timing and where they are on the field. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, admittedly, uh, Iowa also had one fumble of their own near the beginning of the second half, um, where they were on a drive that helped us out. Um, but still, we were up twenty-one to six in the third quarter. Um, and things were looking good, which makes this one a little different, I think, from the past True. games where we've lost by one score was that we were in the lead and frankly should have been yeah, further right. further in the lead right. based on you know how well we had played versus them versus other games right where we've been behind and maybe made a comeback only to falter at the end um but uh yeah in the fourth quarter uh we got started off with a blocked punt that was an immediate score for them uh then we had that fumble you talked about uh, then they pinned, then our defense stopped them when they got that fumble, uh, but they were managed to pin us deep once again with special teams, good special teams on their part, and then that led to us them getting a safety on us because Scott decided to throw it when we were backed up in our own end zone there. Uh, then we went three and out. Next time we had the ball, and on the last drive of the game, Smothers threw a really bad interception after we had had some success where he just way overthrew it or the receiver didn't go where he thought he was going to, you know, a mistake that you might expect from a a freshman, which he is, of course. But, um, you know, it was frustrating to see the the pressure kind of get to him later on. And like you said, after he had played quite well for three quarters. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, the the atmosphere in the bar uh, died down a bit after that, as you can imagine. Um People just frustrated that this was the same old stuff again, um, and uh, so we were were going into the off season, you know, at three and nine. So absolutely not the record we were hoping to have when we were talking, you know, at the start of the season about what we were expecting. Right, this was supposed to be the real turnaround year for Scott, right. and and we weren't necessarily expecting nine wins, but we were expecting six wins in a bowl game. Right. Yeah, that's that's what we were hoping for, at least. So, you know, we know now, of course, about all the changes to Scott's staff. We'll hopefully be hearing here in the next uh, week or two, you know, about who our assistant coaches will be, who from the interim staff may or may not be staying, uh, whether we'll be getting a special teams coach. You and I have a special eye out for that one. Uh, so things of that, that nature. So... 
Um, and we'll, one other thing I want to mention about the Iowa game was that um, it was uh, kind of an ugly game in terms of our defense because um, once again they were you know pretty dedicated to uh, the rushing game. They had 186 yards of rushing on us, 178 passing. Um, you know, early on in the game they had a nice drive where they drove it all the way down to their own end zone and actually went for it on fourth down at the goal line and the guy had the ball in his hands but dropped it. The receiver did. So frankly, we got lucky that they didn't get seven points there. And then later on in the game, they kept on driving it. Um, but we managed to stop him and make him kick field goals. So it was like it wasn't pretty defense, right. but it was getting the job yeah, done yeah, of absolutely. stopping them from scoring. Right. Up until the end, you know, which by, of course, by that point, you know, we've – We've three and outed them multiple times, but you know, at that point, we're gonna start to get tired, and then they have one of those runs with their running back Goodson that like went for a big gain, you know, and got them the last touchdown that uh, got Great them their lead. Yeah, yeah, yep. So, in a future podcast, we'll talk more deeply about um, what Scott needs to do for next year. You know, the different coaching hires, all that fun stuff. There's plenty to do in the off season. We've teased our discussion about um uh going under center uh in modern college football right that, that's we'll a fun definitely one definitely have a talk about that yeah but it's it's just that you know it's just us finding different ways to collapse mentally and uh not show discipline that is required for you to win football games and again uh you know we we blame it on adrian you know week after week and then we put a new new kid in there, and he looks great for three quarters, and then he pisses down his leg uh, because he doesn't have the mental toughness and the repetitions and the comfort level at that point in the season. And I would argue that's all on Scott because a kid like that, given how beat up Adrian has been throughout uh, portions of this season, that kid should have had many, 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 many more snaps uh, behind center so that he wouldn't have been nearly as nervous. He would have been a more mature, seasoned quarterback and, you know, be able to do some nice things, right? Um, instead, he, he he does things really well when they're kind of clean and early in the game and he's still feeling good and it's his first start and, and we're having success. But as soon as adversity comes, he folds like a cheap tent. And it's really not necessarily all his fault, right? There's a big part of that that is – the mental preparation side and the ability to, to have had enough experiences that this is an all shocking new uh, during a critical moment in a critical game at the end of the year. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, we it's, that, that's the kind of shit that is about program building that Scott has not understood from the day he started as our coach. Mm-hmm. And uh, one final thing we'll mention is that uh, we did have a few players that have already announced that they will not be uh, coming back to the team next year. Right. Uh, included with that is uh, Cam Taylor Britt and Austin Allen, both of whom are going to try to make it their way into the NFL. Um, I know there were a couple other players that you had noted. Yes. Um, well, and I, I, you know, I, I don't have that list in front of me, but I would say that by our next podcast. We'll have a, a that the, the dust will clear a little bit on that, right? And we'll be able to run a list uh, here of, of the people that are staying and going, because uh, people are tending to announce a little quicker this year than they maybe have in in past years. They're getting used to this whole you know COVID year eligibility thing, but it's pretty clear that uh, a number of players who still had remaining eligibility are going to opt out. Uh, along with obviously the seniors that have expired their eligibility, so so we're going to have more scholarships available than we thought we were going to, right? Which might play might play into what we can and can't do in terms of getting portal um, uh, replacements for some of this talent. Mm-hmm. And we'll see how that all plays out. Yep, that's definitely going to be interesting to see. So switching over to the national side of things, I will go back in time again to week 12 of college football. And on the previous podcast, uh, we gave a prediction for that Michigan State-Ohio State game, a big game within the uh, Big Ten. Uh, I predicted that Ohio State would win 38-28, uh, whereas you predicted they'd win more dominantly uh, 49-24. 
Uh, but in the end, neither of us were quite expecting the uh, the level of dominance that Ohio State showed in that game, where they crushed Michigan State fifty six to seven. A uh, big part of that, as we learned, is that uh, Michigan State's pass defense is one of the very worst in the entire uh, Division One of college football. Right. And Ohio State took full advantage of it. Stroud, their quarterback, had a great day. All their you know. wide receivers were wide open and catching everything that was thrown to them, and it was looked really easy. Mm-hmm. Sure did, sure did. You know, and that had uh, a lot of people pretty high in Ohio State going into that. Michigan game though they also they played against Maryland and they beat them soundly 59-18 um, so both of them seemed like they were figuring things out going into that classic rivalry game right um, another interesting game was Alabama versus Arkansas I think we both kind of thought that Arkansas because uh, they just struggled the week before so it's like oh they're not going to do anything against Bama um, but they actually played it close with them it was 42-35 I'm pretty sure Alabama was ahead the entire game, but they could never, you know, pull away. Arkansas kept on scoring, um, which, you know, is not definitely the type of team Saban wants, right? He likes his Alabamas with the really good defense that uh, can shut down teams, not get 35 points scored on them. Right, exactly. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and the big, one of the big surprises, of course, was Oregon, number three ranked Oregon, in the college football playoff playing against Utah. And not only did they get beat, they got crushed 38-7, to uh, which kind of brought them out of the, that playoff contention conversation. You know, the, the thing about that is, number one, I didn't spend that much time watching that particular game, the Oregon-Utah uh, game. Utah game. I didn't, I didn't watch it. Uh, uh, and it and it's one of those things. It's just a head scratcher for me because you know, Oregon had had been good uh, in some other games, including the one where they pretty much kicked Ohio State uh, all around the field early in the season. But then they have seemed to have struggled here in recent weeks. And I don't know the circumstances when I see that on a team. Oftentimes, when you get into the you know the nitty gritty of it, you'll find out that there's some key players that are missing, right? Like uh, some guys that got hurt or weren't able uh, eligible and that sort of stuff. And the interesting thing in this situation is that uh, Oregon is likely to get a chance at a rematch with the Utah Utes in the conference playoff here in the coming weeks. So we'll see if uh, that particular game looks different than the first one. Yeah, that will definitely be interesting I'm to sorry see. I didn't have more insight. That's all right. That's all right. You're just the co-host. It's fine. All right. Um, and then uh, Clemson did end up beating Wake Forest, even though Wake Forest was ranked ahead of them, 48-27. Solid win for them. Um, and uh, the big, another big surprise, of course, was Florida playing against Missouri, where uh, Missouri won 24-23 in overtime. Uh, once again, d- going for two once they scored to decide the game and they ended up doing it. And uh, I guess this was the final nail in the coffin for the uh, Florida athletic department uh, because right after that, pretty much it was announced that Dan Mullen, Florida's head coach was fired effective immediately uh, from that university, Uh, which was a bit of a surprise when you look at his record. He, He's got a 69% win percentage. He was 34 and 15 in his time at Florida. Right. Yeah. I I, I don't know. Like I said, that that it looks like something where there's way more to it that's off the field related. I can't imagine that a that a a um, you know athletic department athletic director is going to fire a head coach who has that record unless he knows there's some other things. Uh, going on that um, are unacceptable to him. Uh, so there were some other reasons that, that must have existed that motivated the firing of Dan Mullen. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they were, and if we obviously get more insight into that, we'll we'll share that on a future podcast maybe when we talk about coaching carousel here since Nebraska's going to be a big part of it, at least as it relates to assistant coaches. Yeah. That's definitely true. And I think uh, one other factor in it is that a lot of his losses have come 
more recently. Right. You know, like he got off to a better start, and then the past two years he's had uh, more of those losses have piled up. Right. So, you know, it wasn't trending in a good direction. Right. But, you know, I said to you at the time that, well, probably all the more reason that it was good that uh, Trev Alberts didn't uh, fire Scott right away because that's a, right there having the Florida job open is another big job, right? Right. Uh, to add to the coaching chaos for this season exactly. on top of USC and LSU and the other big programs. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, switching over then to week 13, which was this past weekend, of course. Um, we did have some interesting games. Um, we had, uh, this was kind of interesting, Texas A&M, the team that beat Alabama and gave them their one loss, played against LSU, who's been down this year, but LSU found a way to beat them, uh, 27-24. On uh, Friday, as we mentioned, we did our uh, trip to this bar and caught a couple games there. We also watched some of the Nebraska volleyball team, which was a lot of fun. Um, But uh, then Saturday, we were watching some games as we were at the horse racing track. So we kind of caught bits and pieces of different games here and there. Um, But it was a fun, it was definitely a fun day to bounce around between the different activities. It it really was. And it's it's so fun uh, when even we were enjoying... Del Mar Racetrack here uh, near San Diego, which is a beautiful place for any of you out there listening who might like to go to the track every now and then. That's a place that's got to be on the bucket list for you to visit uh, during one of their meets. But uh, uh, it was a really nice environment where we could pop into the uh, sports bar and and watch uh, some games on TV. So we were able to keep close tabs on that Michigan-Ohio State game that was going on. And, uh, and a few other later games as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a lot of fun to combine all that stuff. It sure was. Um, uh, one game we didn't catch much of, but we were keeping an eye on the score, was Michigan State versus Penn State. Uh, and Michigan State ended up winning that 30-27. to A uh, good back-and-forth game. I know there was kind of some turnovers on both sides um, throughout that game. So... Uh, Michigan State was able to hold out, even though they're technically ranked higher than Penn State in terms of you know the AP poll this year. I think people start perceive that Penn State is better, right? So well, they did, and especially coming off of the beatdown that Ohio State had put on Michigan State, I think they felt like trending wise, uh, Penn State was going to win that football game. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Uh, and this one I know surprised you. Um, Minnesota played against Wisconsin, who had just beat us the previous week. Yep. And uh, they ended up winning 23-13. Um, they ha- held that uh, Braylon Allen, that great running back, to I think something like just 40 or 60 yards in the game, something like that, um, compared to the 200 he put up on us. Um, so really good job by Minnesota's defense yes. to hold them back. Yep. And uh, that that's thing is that they just kept getting a little bit better. Minnesota, I'm speaking of, but they also had some stumbles through the season. You know, there was just some, just a little bit of inconsistency with a lot of the Big Ten West teams. Right? You had Iowa, who was in the top ten for a period of time and looked great, uh, at, at, you know, against certain teams, um, and then uh, and then they just got beat badly by a few teams. Right? Uh, Purdue is the same way. They look great in some games and just looked awful in other games. Minnesota, same thing. Nebraska is the only one that was consistently bad. <laughs> well, and also Indiana. Indiana is actually Indiana, but they're not part of the uh, West. Well, East, okay, so, right. So, right. but but yes, you're right. Um, so it's uh, you know it's just one of those things where that inconsistency kept it interesting. Because you just didn't know what team was going to show up on what week. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm pretty sure Wisconsin's only touchdown of the day uh, was scored off of a special teams uh, situation, like a block punt into a easy touchdown or something like that. Again, recall early in our game, I mean, uh, um, we, we were scoring on offense, and Wisconsin didn't score on offense very much against us. Uh, because, uh, I mean, touchdown-wise. Uh, but they had a couple of field goals and uh, um, uh, the kickoff return. So those are the kinds of things that 
you know, can swing um, the situation, even though their offense wasn't necessarily having great success um, with us all the time, right? We were we were having more success. We had more yardage than they did. I mean, that, that's the kind of thing. So right. Uh, and then they, yeah, their defense created opportunities with those turnovers. turnovers right. Exactly. Um, it seems like Minnesota didn't give up those turnovers this time. Correct. And Wisconsin was only able to score two other field goals. So that's why they got 13 points. Yep. So, yep. Yep. Um, Very impressive by Minnesota. Yes. And uh, the fact that uh, Iowa beat us and that Minnesota beat Wisconsin. Uh, has led to an interesting scenario in the uh, Big Ten Championship, which we'll talk about here in a minute. Um, one of the big games was, of course, uh, Alabama versus Auburn, the Iron Bowl. Um, we were both feeling that, you know, Auburn was kind of down this year. You know, they had lost their quarterback, Bo Nix, to injury, it seems. I know he had it played in the previous week, so... All the signs are pointing to the fact that Alabama should win this one, even though it was at Auburn. Yeah, and 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 reasonably comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. If you just look at the, the the history of this season. Yep, but of course it's the Iron Bowl. You know, you can never count out big rivalry games. And uh, we were, I was checking up on the score, and sure enough, Auburn was up uh, ten to nothing for a good chunk of that game. Alabama didn't score any points until the fourth quarter. Um, and it ended up being yeah thirteen to nothing. Seemed like Auburn had a had a good good lead. They forced Alabama to kick a field goal, um, and the, all they needed to do was like get a first down to uh, to run out the clock. And not only did they not manage to do that, but they had one of their players who got like nine yards on a run went out of bounds, which immediately stops the clock. And basically made it so Alabama didn't have to burn one of their two remaining timeouts, right? Which saved them 40 seconds of time that turned out to be critical as Alabama then got the ball and managed to Get drive down. down the field to score seven points, tie up the ball game. Um, and then won it ultimately in overtime, like three overtimes later in the Well, it was actually, it was four overtimes. Four overtimes, you're right. Four yep. overtimes. It was 24 or 22 at the end of the day. Yeah. So just disgusting to see that kind of well, it really is. I mean, you know that that uh, again. Um, I know there, a young man made that mistake, right? He's the one who ran out of bounds, and and you you know I don't know you don't know whether he was told, you know, recently uh, in that time sequence, hey, fall down, stay in bounds. Do not go out of bounds. He may have been told that, and it just slipped his mind. I don't know, but I'm going to be willing to bet that maybe uh, that it's more likely that it, he was not recently reminded of it. Now, I'm sure they may have gone over that scenario many times in practice over the years, even. But did he get reminded of that in that moment before they went out for that drive? Did everybody understand that that the objective was, you know, at the end of the day? If, if we don't get a first down, but we can force them to, you know, use all their timeouts to stop the clock and such, then we can – that that represents time to us. Time is more important than points, right? right. Or first down. Or even a first down. Now, if you can get a first down, obviously you want to get it, but, but, but only in these kinds of circumstances. That's a conversation you have with your offense before you send them out there. And I'm assuming that happened. But if it didn't – uh, uh, then that's on the coaches, because you got to remind these kids, because they're the crowd's going crazy. You know, their job is to run the football and get first downs. I mean, you know, they're not thinking like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it frustrates me. Well, well, yeah, the whole everybody at this little bar in the at the track where we were watching it, where it's basically cheering for Bama to lose, and uh, you know. Auburn had controlled that whole game seemingly, but you know they hadn't quite been able to put it away, right? Because thirteen points, two touchdowns, and not enough, yeah. you know Alabama's in the lead, right? So yeah, it's not enough with a team that's as explosive as Alabama. And then even in the overtime, right? Alabama, or Alabama scored a touchdown. Auburn got the ball. They scored a touchdown, and they could have gone for two, you know, which seems like what you want to do in overtime if you're considered to be the underdog opponent, right? Um, but their coach didn't do it. He played it safe and kicked the field or the extra point rather. 
Um, and then Alabama, you know, ended up winning in overtime. So I think that was a mistake. And then there was the uh, Bedlam, another classic rivalry game, Oklahoma State versus Oklahoma, with Oklahoma State being the higher-ranked team of 7 versus 10. Um, it ended up being a back-and-forth uh, affair, you know, plenty of penalties on both sides. Um, I thought for sure Oklahoma State had messed it up, you know, even though they were in the lead, they had, like, you know, thrown uh, some bad interceptions or let a... I forget there was a kickoff for uh, Oklahoma State had the kickoff return. They had a whole hundred yard kickoff return for a touchdown, uh, so that was in their favor. But Oklahoma State made some mistakes to where I thought Oklahoma was going to capitalize and win. But then Oklahoma turned the ball over at Oklahoma State and ended up being thirty seven thirty three Oklahoma State winning. Um, I know you were commenting on the fact that uh, there were two definite uh, pass interference calls. Uh, on Oklahoma State uh, defending the Oklahoma receiver that were not called, but on really watching obvious. the slow-mo replay were quite obvious. Right. And and it's just another, uh, again, another example of, of referees and their lack of consistency uh, in, you know, observing and, and following the rules uh, leading to most likely a huge outcome. Because one of those... Pass interference was in the end zone. You know, that, that took away a potential touchdown, a likely touchdown for Oklahoma if uh, if that play is called. So it's just uh, funny how that works out. And, you know, it convenient that, that Oklahoma's the team that usually gets those calls. Uh, but now that Oklahoma's heading out of the league, the conspiracy theorist in me starts to suggest that Maybe uh, the Big 12 officials aren't so excited about Oklahoma having success right now. <laughs> yep, could be, could be. You know, we experienced a bit of that at Nebraska when we were heading out of the Big 12 towards the Big 10 um, in terms of, you know, calls not going our way, um, which has continued in the Big 10, but, you know, for different reasons. Right. <laughs> um, uh, but, of course, the marquee game of the uh, day was Michigan versus Ohio State, uh, number two versus number five. Um, winner of this, basically, you knew was going to go up somewhere into the top four of the playoff rankings. Um, and, of course, it's an important game to us uh, being from Michigan for so many years. You know, that is the game, you know, that everybody pays attention to. And it was at Michigan this year. Uh, snowy, cold weather. <laughs> so ideal northern weather right right so pretty good for michigan considering they're more running focused right. than ohio state is uh who lean more towards the passing side of things um and it and we actually talked about it a little bit at, at our hotel here uh before the game you thought that uh ohio state was gonna win you know like they have for the past decade but I said that uh, I thought it would be close, but that Michigan would win and uh, break the curse, so to speak. You know, because right. it seemed like a lot of things were pointing their way. It was at home; they've been playing well, right. etc. Um, and it didn't end up being close. It ended up being pretty dominant, uh, 42-27, with Michigan staying committed to the running game and just pounding that ball down their throats. Right. Well, and Ohio State, particularly with the weather, struggled to. Uh have the kind of productivity on offense that they've been having in recent weeks. And uh, although they have a good running attack also, Michigan's defense, is their strength, of course, is their defensive line. And they were putting pressure on the quarterback when he went back to pass. They were doing a pretty good job of neutralizing their running game. They had a, uh, Ohio State had a few you know, explosive off-running uh, plays. But overall, uh, Michigan's defense kind of held them in check. For a good portion of that game, and uh, and Michigan then just just did enough uh, to kind of get by, and then at the end, because they had again remained committed to a running game, uh, then leaning on those players all the time, and fourth fourth quarter comes, and all of a sudden that running game is your friend, and uh, another example of that uh, playing out, and Michigan uh, was the beneficiary. Yep. And their running back, uh, Haskins, had a career day. He was right. just making plays all over the place. He had a great one where he leaped over an Ohio State guy right near on the drive 
at the end of the game because I remember that drive at the end of the game. They didn't need to score. They just needed like a couple first downs really to like run out the clock or whatever. Um, and but they were having so much success, like you said, because of their commitment to it. By that point, Ohio State was tired. Their defense. Um, and they were just getting some, you know, big plays right past them. Right. And they ended up scoring and making the lead even bigger, you know, right, right there. Well, at the end and of the that's game. the thing. They they got control of the game by doing that. And that's what that's what having and being committed to a running attack does for a football team. And especially a football team who happens to reside in the north or northeast uh, area of this of the country. Mm-hmm. Yep, and uh, we're recording this on Sunday, as we mentioned, so the new playoff rankings have not come out yet. Um, the big question is going to be, um, where does Michigan go versus where does Alabama go? Um, uh, Cincinnati, uh, I forget, they didn't play it, anybody of real importance, but they beat them pretty soundly, so Cincinnati will uh, stay up there in the, in the top four most likely. Um, our prediction is that the rankings will look something like uh, Georgia at the top, Michigan number two, Cincinnati number three, Oklahoma State number four. Um, because with uh, no Alabama will st- still be in there because they won. Oh, uh, so it'll probably it, it's a question of whether or not Alabama is going to be second or do they slide them back maybe to third. Uh, and and put Michigan where Ohio State was, I, 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 uh, I you know what I mean uh, something along those lines. I think they'll keep Alabama at second for now, knowing that Alabama and Georgia are going to play anyway. So, but but I could be wrong. Maybe maybe they'll re reorganize that a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I'm uh, sorry. You were thinking more in terms of uh, we've had a lot of discussions about all the what if scenarios from these uh, conference, conference championship, championship alignments that we have. And Oklahoma State has the potential to be one of the beneficiaries of uh, uh, of uh, uh, you know the fact that somebody's got to lose between Georgia and Alabama. Yes, and uh, so you're correct. You're correct. I I was jumping the gun there a little yep. bit. It's I personally think it's pretty likely that Michigan is going to be number two, and then probably Bama three, Cincinnati four in the current uh, this week's playoff rankings. Um, but then, yes, as you mentioned, with the conference championship games, Georgia and Alabama have to play each other. If everything else goes as we predicted, then I would think that the four that we listed is what the final layout of the uh, playoff is going to be. Like. Yep. Yeah. Um, there's still opportunities for potentially Notre Dame to find their way in there and things like that. Um, but uh, if the other guys take care of business in their championship games as they're supposed to, uh, that's what it should look like, we think. Uh, speaking of those championship games, uh, you mentioned it earlier, Oregon's playing against Utah uh, in a rematch from just like two or three weeks ago, right. which typically in those sorts of situations where the the more prominent team got upset and then get to play in the rematch, they do much better the second time. Right. So I would predict that uh, Oregon's probably got that one. Um, and Oklahoma State is playing against Baylor, um, because the basically the winner of that Oklahoma State Oklahoma game was going to play against Baylor for the championship game. So now Oklahoma's out of the championship game. They are definitely not going to the playoff this year, um, and uh, they've had some other shakeups uh, here just not here on Sunday, which we'll uh, get to in a moment. Um, but uh, I feel like Oklahoma State uh, should be able to handle Baylor myself. Um, what are your thoughts on that game? Um, you know, I, I am less confident just because I feel like Oklahoma is a little schizophrenic. I mean, excuse me, Oklahoma State is a little schizophrenic. Um, they have looked quite good at times in, in certain ball games, and then at other times they've not looked good at all, in my opinion, and they seem like they were disorganized, disinterested, whatever you might want to describe. Baylor similarly, you know, looked like they were on the verge of really having a big time season, and then they, uh, they, they kind of um, um, uh, got caught looking ahead, got beat by TCU, I believe it was, the week before the Oklahoma game, then turned around and beat Oklahoma uh, the next week, right? Yeah. Uh, and so that's bizarre, but that's kind of the where where Baylor's at. I really like. 
Baylor's coach quite a bit. So I think this could be a very interesting uh, ball game for them. Yeah. Uh, for those who may have forgotten, because I certainly did, uh, Oklahoma State's one loss this year was to Iowa State, where they beat them 24-21. Oklahoma State did play Baylor early in the year and beat them 24-14. Um, so now... Uh, this might be a scenario like we were just talking about with Oregon, right? right? Where in the rematch, the team that lost does better the next time. Right. Um, but I'm still going to predict that uh, it might be close, but Oklahoma State will find a way to win. You know, I saw yep. that they do have a lot of talent watching that game against Oklahoma last night. It's true. So that's why I'm going to say. Wouldn't surprise me, that's for sure. Yep. But but I guess it wouldn't surprise me because Baylor also has a, 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 some pretty pretty good talent. And um, a uh, an excellent coach mm-hmm. as well. Uh, and then uh, in the ACC, it's Pitt versus Wake Forest. No Clemson this year. None of them really competing to get into the playoffs. So that one's probably kind of down on the national radar. Um, and Cincinnati is playing against Houston, a team that they have not played this year. Houston's uh, ranked around 24th in the country. So, you know, they're, they're a team with uh, some talent. Um, but the question is, can they overcome the Cincinnati team that's beaten every opponent they've faced so far this year? Right. And I, again, uh, it, it'll be interesting to see. Um, and, you know, because Cincinnati is now treading in, in, in waters they've never treaded in before. And oftentimes when a team does that, you know, pressure gets to you. It's like the golfer who's great you know, on the practice putting green and can just nail it putt after putt after putt. But then when he has to make the putt to win the, the championship, he, 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 he can't, right? And that's, that's what you got to see in a, in a team like a Cincinnati who's kind of new to the party. Can they handle the circumstance? Mm-hmm. That's definitely true. And we'll definitely, if they do win that and then get to the playoff game, I think that'll be their real test, right? Because then they're playing with the big boys on the national stage, you know, and how do they handle that pressure? Um, And then as we alluded to earlier, um, because we beat, or Iowa beat Nebraska and uh, Minnesota beat Wisconsin, we got kind of came into a weird scenario where right at the end of the season there was a flip and Iowa got to go to the Big Ten championship game along with Michigan beating Ohio State, which is a bit of an upset. So we've got Michigan versus Iowa for the Big Ten championship game. Yeah, very disappointed. I think that that's not what uh, a lot of folks in the Big Ten were were anticipating or looking forward to. Uh, Iowa is a team that has found a way to win. Been, you gotta got to give them lots of you know props for their ability to, to truly maximize on other teams' mistakes. And make them pay, um, and just be again patient with their system, their way of doing things, and it leads to a lot of close victories for them. But then occasionally they run into a team that just simply out athletes them because they're really not that athletic uh, across the board. They have some good athletes, but not across the board. And I think Michigan has significantly more athletes, so. Yeah. Uh, it's my inclination, even though we would look at the the two games that Nebraska played against those two teams, and in both cases we lost close games uh, and had a chance to win both games. But it was very different how those two games played out. Um, and uh, uh, as you as you pointed out uh, earlier in the podcast, so um, I just think that Michigan is coming off of a historic victory. I think they're so excited. I, I don't think they're going to overlook Iowa at all. I think they're going to come out with the, a goal of just just moving with great vigor, right? I mean, like, they're just going to be focused, locked in. Right. And, and, and they're going to have a huge following going down to Indianapolis for that game. And, and I just think uh, Michigan's going to – play well yeah we can attest from some of our friends from michigan that uh there was plenty of partying going on in Ar- ann arbor on saturday because <laughs> yeah. yeah. uh, it's literally been a decade since they beat ohio state last so right. there's a lot of pent-up feelings on that one exactly um and i agree with you we, we were both kind of saying well 
somehow the betters in Vegas had uh, us as one point favorites against Iowa, even though we were, you know, three, three and eight. eight. And they had been the number two team in the country at one point Just this a couple season. Weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. So that goes to show you, you know, how disparate, you know, the the talent levels there are. Um, and uh, Michigan is definitely a better team now than when they played against us right. um, earlier in the year. Um, you know, they found, kind of found their identity more. Like you say, they're coming off a lot of positive momentum. So as long as they do stay focused... You know, and don't overlook Iowa thinking about the playoff uh, already. Right. Then, uh, then I think Michigan handles that uh, pretty handily. Um, but if they do slip up, you know, Iowa's a team that it makes its bread and butter on capitalizing on mistakes. Right. So that's what right. they can't afford to do. Yep, I would agree. But are we going to give a number on this one? And since this is the yeah, let's do that. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, uh, Michigan is going to score. It's going to be 38 to 17. Michigan wins. All right. 38 to 17. Interesting, interesting. Um, I'll go a little bit higher scoring here. Um, I'll say that Michigan is able to... uh, Score a lot of points on Iowa, even though the Iowa does have a good defense. Um, so I'll say they end up scoring, let's say, uh, 45 points, and Iowa gets uh, 24. 45-24. Okay. okay. All righty then. And then, of course, there's the game that we've been uh, anticipating for pretty much the whole season, uh, Alabama versus Georgia in the SEC. Um, you know, even though Alabama is a bit down this year, uh, you know, in terms of their performance on the field, right, they haven't looked like the dominant Alabama of old, uh, but they still only have one loss. And Georgia, of course, is the undefeated, undisputed number one right now. Um, Kirby Smart, Georgia's coach, has never beaten Nick Saban. You know, he's one of those assistants of his, former assistants of his that hasn't been able to do it. Um, but if there's any time for him to do it, now's the time, right? When Alabama's a bit down, you're exactly. you're on top, you know. But can they handle that pressure? Well, exactly. It's it gets back to that whole deal of are they gonna all of a sudden do a bunch of uncharacteristic things? And Nick is such a great coach. Is he gonna figure out uh, a weakness? You know, is he gonna figure out that Georgia really um, struggles to pass effectively? Uh, Under with, these uh, scenarios, yeah, with a, a, a you know a man-to-man coverage versus a zone or vice versa. I mean, is there going to be some little twist that's going to come into play there that all of a sudden is going to prompt Georgia to be turnover-prone and throw three picks, you know, something they haven't done necessarily through the course of this year, uh, and uh, and or are they going to uh, be able to shut down the running game that Georgia has relied on quite a bit this year? So. Uh, you always wonder about that, especially when Nick Saban is across the field. Uh, but based on comparative scores, you know, the eye test, just watching the two teams play, it sure looks like Georgia's a more complete football team than Alabama is. Um, and um, so, um, you know, I'm inclined to go with the fact that, yep, Georgia's going to break through. They are going to win the game. And, um and uh, and put uh, uh, another loss in the column for Alabama. All right, I'm inclined to agree that uh, I think Georgia is the best team this year. Uh, they've shown on the field, you know, multiple times. Whereas Alabama has looked a lot more shaky, as we've mentioned about that Arkansas game, this game against Auburn, etc., uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Um, but Nick Saban is a wily guy, so I think uh, Georgia's going to, or rather Alabama's going to make it close, uh, maybe closer than people expect. Uh, but I think that in the end, uh, Georgia's better talent this year will be what pulls them through. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and predict that Georgia wins uh, in uh, kind of a, a defensive, you know, good battle. Uh, so let's say that uh, Georgia ends up winning um, 24 to Alabama's 17. Hmm. 
Now I'm going to go a little higher uh, because I have this feeling that, like a lot of other ones, uh, the uh, this particular SEC game is going to probably start slow and not a lot of points scored early. <clears throat> uh, and, but then as the game goes on, both offensive systems are going to find their their groove, find their movement, and and go. Um, and you know, especially if Georgia is able to um, s- establish a lead and 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 provide some running dominance, that eventually it'll break through and start having even more success against Alabama. So, what what was your score? Twenty four seventeen. Twenty four seventeen. I think it's going to be just a little bit higher than that. I I'm going to go thirty one to twenty four. Okay, 31-24. And that's with the Georgia victory. Right. So we're both predicting Georgia winning here in this one. All right. And, and that's also hopeful uh, thinking on our part because I really don't want Nick Saban to win. <laughs> yeah. We've had enough of Alabama being in there. And yeah. uh, if Alabama does find a way to win, it really mucks up the, the playoff situation. Yeah. Yep, because then Alabama has to be in because they're the – SEC champion. They only have one loss, even though they have looked ugly in a lot of games this year. Um, and but then, what do you do with Georgia as a one-loss team? You know, right. do they who has been who has looked the most dominant of any team in the country pretty much all season? Right. You know, do they boot out Oklahoma State or Cincinnati? You know, and so we still have two SEC teams in the uh, top. Uh, echelon, which if Oklahoma State was the one that got knocked out and it was two SEC teams, Michigan and Cincinnati, that means that three of the Power co- power Five conferences are getting represented. Not even just two being left out, but three being left out, you right. know, which will make the calls for an expanded playoff even louder than they already are, it's I'm true. sure. Um, last thing we'll talk about here uh, is... Uh, some of the coaching shakeups that have happened just today, as a matter of fact. We got alerted by a fellow Nebraskan at the uh, racetrack today about some of these developments. Uh, the big one, of course, being that Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma is leaving Oklahoma to go be the head coach of USC. USC fired Clay Helton very early in the season, and it's been radio silence officially in terms of who they were going to be picking. Of course, there were rumors about so many different people. Um, But Lincoln Riley had actually been getting more attention on him potentially taking the LSU job. And he had even said very recently in a press conference, I am not taking the LSU job. And he was telling the truth. (laughs) They just didn't ask about USC. That was was actually yesterday after Bedlam. So, I mean, you're talking about he, he absolutely with a straight face, Told everyone, I am not taking the LSU job. When asked about the rumors that he was, uh, you know, finalist or even had already agreed to terms verbally with LSU, and he sat there and said, I am not going to be LSU's next head coach. And then that was the end of the conversation. No one even thought that he was, because uh, you would you would have thought that someone would have asked a follow up question about USC. But no one did. So they're, they're, they did a great job of keeping that under wraps. Mm-hmm. They sure did. Um, and already we've seen some movement in terms of uh, apparently took all the players by surprise and the recruits. They were learning about it mm-hmm. as it was getting posted social media, apparently. And already there's like four top recruits, like four stars and five stars that were committed to Oklahoma have now decommitted. decommitted and many of them are from California. So, Apparently he's been recruiting California heavily this year in particular. Um, so there's definitely going to be an exodus, I think of some talent to, uh, to USC. We'll see what coaches he might take with him from his current staff, et cetera, et cetera. But it's quite interesting given that Oklahoma is uh, soon going to be joining the SEC uh, and, here Lincoln Riley is going off to the Pac-12. Right. And 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 it appears that even those there are people who indicated that he had been unhappy about that decision. He he was not a fan of Oklahoma's decision to go from the Big 12 to the SEC. And I I think wisely he understood that that move was going to make winning 
with the level of consistency that he's grown to expect at Oklahoma was become, was going to become harder and harder to do once they transitioned over to the SEC. And so I think he looked at it and said, you know, if my goal is to win national championships and, and, and be at the highest level, I have far better chance to do that by going out and reviving a, a you know an underperforming USC program where you're surrounded with hundreds and hundreds of the top players in the country every year. And if you can make that go, you know, previous coaches like Pete Carroll had shown that that's a, 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 that's a, a, a gold mine waiting to be mined if you got the right coach. So, mm-hmm. yep. We were listening a little bit on the uh, radio as we were driving over, and they were saying that it is definitely a rebuilding process because USC has been so mediocre for so long now, right? You know, uh, and we know there's not as much interest in college football in general over on the West Coast, right, as there is in the South and Midwest and other parts of the country. Um, so he's got a lot to uh, to still to build up and overcome. But right. uh, Lincoln Riley is clearly a talented coach. And I think it might take him a, a year or two, but I think he'll make USC a dangerous force again. I think you're right. I think he is a very talented guy. He understands very clearly the landscape of college football and how he can you know, negotiate it. And he probably made a very good decision for himself. Now, you know, how he went about doing that and the timing of that and leaving a program with the recent success of Oklahoma to go to a, a, a program that's been in a spiral and in wrong direction for a number of years now, really. I mean, they've gone through three co- coaches. He's going to be the, he's going to be the fourth head coach since Pete Carroll, uh, and so um, that's an unstable situation, right? And um, but I think he sees how he can stabilize it, and then when he gets it righted, then the sky's the limit. Mm-hmm. Yep, it certainly seems that way. And we don't know yet what his uh, contract is, but I'm sure he's getting paid some big bucks to uh, entice him away from Oklahoma. Uh, And the other coaching change that was announced today is that uh, Louisiana's coach, not LSU's coach, but Louisiana, uh, Billy Napier, he is going to be the new coach of Florida, um, which leads me to believe that, like we said, this Dan Mullen just got fired, you know, little more than a week ago right um after that missouri game and here they are they've already found their replacement guy so from what i was reading it seems like um billy has been offered some sec jobs in the past but not taken them so i think he was kind of waiting for the right opportunity he's consistently beginning 10 wins at louisiana in the sunbelt conference apparently he's a good recruiter so Everybody I saw seemed to be saying that he is a, a good, good a good hire. You know, obviously taking a big step up in terms of class of program, um, but it seems like he's got the fundamentals down. Right. Well, and that's the thing. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out because usually in a, a program like that, uh, Florida wouldn't have to dip down into, you know, a lesser school that they would be able to go and get themselves a premier successful coach from a place like uh, the Big 12, for example. I mean, you know, it, uh, with SEC money, you would have thought that they might have been interested in going and getting a Dave Aranda from Baylor, for example, and um, and throw so much more money at him that he was willing to um, take on the challenge of Florida's program, you know, because a lot of the things are similar in terms of what you want to have to be a successful program. He would be in a talent-rich state in Florida, he would be the you know Keystone uh, uh, University in the state of Florida. I mean, all kinds of great reasons to do that: resources, money, compensation for your assistant coaches, everything. You know, um, a, a guy like Aranda, who's been doing it at the Power Five level for a few years now, and was a tremendous assistant. Um, seems like that would have been somebody they would have wanted to pursue. And yet they seem to have latch on to this other guy almost as if that was their target all along. They, so they know something about this guy, right? Mm-hmm. They are pretty confident he's going to kick ass. Yeah. 
That's true. Although I can't help also but thinking of uh, our situation with Mike Riley, where our athletic director got his first choice, which is Mike Riley, right out of the gate, right. and everyone was like, "Ooh, well, it's a bit of a surprise, odd hire, but right. there must be some secret, right?" Because like you know, he 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 was well regarded up there with Nick Saban back in the day, and this and that. You know, he's got all this experience, etc. And it kind of turned out there wasn't really a secret plan. He was just, you know, coming here for a last stop before retirement. Right. Yeah. yeah. So we'll we'll see which which way the cookie crumbles with this guy. Exactly. Well, and they and and they didn't give Dan Mullen very much time, really, when you think about it, uh, especially for a guy that had the record that he had. So, so this guy better be successful rather quickly. Yep, that's definitely true. All right, so I think that's going to do it today for this episode of College Football Throwdown. It's been good to do one in person here. Um, We'll be doing another one. We'll be together, of course, for the Christmas holidays, and that'll be around the time of the playoff games and the bowl games, so it'll be good to talk about all of those on some future podcasts. It will. Um, As we mentioned, uh, we'll definitely do a show here after the championship games, and to see what the final playoff rankings are, you know, what what's going to play out with the different bowl games, the semifinals, et cetera, et cetera. So there'll be a lot to talk about on next week's podcast, even though we won't have any Nebraska to talk about. Right, right. Yep. And, well, we and we probably will have some updates to provide with regard to maybe some coaching and player movement issues that are likely to occur, uh, you know, within our program. So, yep, yep. That is very true. So if all you out there enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can reach out to us at huskerpete13 at gmail.com. You can also find us on Spotify if you search for College Football Throwdown or on Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a rating or review there. Please let us know what you think of the podcast, how we can improve in the future. So thank you all out there for listening, and thank you, Dad, for joining me here in person. And until next week, go Big Red. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.